And the good news is that the gospel doesn't need change. We don't need the newest fad to build a church. We don't need some new modernistic thinking to have the message of God. Believers are included in the same covenant. We're members of the same church. We're washed in the same blood. We sing the same songs in heaven anyway, where it says, Thou art worthy, for thou hast redeemed us by thy blood. Abram rejoiced in Christ's day. So do we. Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ. So do we. Isaiah preached the righteousness of Christ. So do we. Saul of Tarsus was transformed by the gospel. So have we. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak, the video broadcast of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale, British Columbia. Thank you for joining with us. We pray the Lord will bless His Word to your heart today as we turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. We're going to look at this great truth that we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're going to be talking about the gospel as a package deal, something like one of those uh, all-inclusive uh, vacation packages where everything is included, all the schedules, all the places where you stay, meals, and everything is organized and planned. When the Lord came to save his people, he came not just to offer a, a way, but to give us eternal life that includes every need and purchases every blessing. So stay tuned with us. We have a Mark moment today in Mark's gospel on the Lord Jesus teaching us the need for private prayer. I pray that you will be a man or woman of prayer. Stay tuned now as we turn to our message from the pulpit of our church here in Cloverdale. Please go back to Ephesians 1 and to verse 3. We start today with a doxology. A doxology. Blessed be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. A doxology is a study of God's glory. It is a, an effort to exalt the one addressed. Blessed be. And this is the apostle's emphasis as he ministers to Christians at Ephesus, this book of Ephesians being written to real people in a real church, and he's speaking to them about their Savior and their salvation. Now, we need to be reminded as we come to the table that this is really the highest moment of Christian worship. There is no aspect of the Christian church experience that is deeper, more personal, and more applicable to your heart than that moment when you take that cup and bread in your hand and you participate in these symbols that remind us and bring us by faith to the cross. If there's anything that will link your heart and mind to the cross of Calvary, 
where Jesus, the Son of God, died as our substitute, our Lamb. This is it. There is nothing higher. There is nothing stronger. There is nothing, as I say, more personal, because everyone will get a cup that wishes to receive it. Everyone will be given the bread that wishes to receive it. This will be your act. This will be your part in remembering and indeed ministering, showing forth the Lord Jesus. This is your way of honoring the Father, because God has said, He that honoreth the Son honoreth me. And the interest that you show, the part that you take today in showing forth the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, is really the sweetest, and I say this from my heart, the sweetest and must be the best of what the gospel brings into our lives. Now, this whole verse 3 is a doxology. It is a formula for praise. And let that be our attitude today. Partaking in this communion is an exercise of praise. Blessed be God the Father. Now, blessed really is from the Greek language, what we get in, in English, eulogy. When it comes to funerals and such times, we have some reticence about eulogies. Eulogizing men is perhaps awkward. And of course, there are times we want to give respect and place and say those things that are right and appropriate. But I think all our eulogizing of man has to be qualified with man's imperfection, man's weakness. But when we come to praising our God, there is no embellishment that can be too much. There is no statement that can be too great. There is no zeal, no passion, no thrust of the heart and of expression that could be too much as we would give our thanks to God for his great goodness. Now, we sang Psalm 100, and I chose that deliberately today. It says in verse 5, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting. The goodness of God, of course, is seen in everything, in creation. Everything that God created at the end of each day, God saw that it was good. And at the end of the sixth day, it was very good. And I think we can all agree that God's creative works are a great display, not only of power, but of his goodness, his providence in providing, feeding, and caring, and ministering to us in so many ways. His government, his laws and commandments are good. Those that choose God's way will be blessed. Those who defy God's law will be wretched. Those who walk in his word and in his light will know the uh, smile of God upon them and how it is a pleasant walk. 
But those who rebel like the prodigal end up in the far country will soon discover that they will be hungry, hungry of soul. Uh, there is misery for those that go against God's way. There is, of course, God's goodness in giving his Son, our Savior. And it is right and most common that we would preach on that aspect of God's goodness. God gave his Son, John 3:16, those great gospel texts and truths, and to tell of the Savior whom the Father gave. But in this passage, I notice the Apostle Paul, he starts with something that is behind the giving of his Son, something that is the heart of God that beats for his people in sending his Son. And as you will find it here in verse 4, God's electing love. Look at the statement, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. God's choosing. Now, some people will try to explain away the choosing statement here, and they will try to say, well, that's really just man's choosing, and God knew what we would choose, and therefore he chose us. Well, none of that. God picked us out. He set his love upon us. And it means the divine call out of this world. We were in the world. We were in the stew, the sin, the mess of this world. And God in his grace spoke and chose us. And you'll learn here that it's all of God. It's all of grace. We love him because he first loved us. We were lost, blind. We loved the world. We were hostile to God. And then God chose us even in that state. So why would you take that cup and bread today to remember the death of the Lord Jesus? Well, deep down in the mind of God, in the plan of God, there is God choosing you and me. God calling us by name. John 10 speaks of the shepherd calling his own sheep by name. The Lord knoweth them that are his. This is very particular, specific, and uh, you'll see that it's limited according as he hath chosen us in him. Now, as you come today to give thanks, that's what this cup is about. It's a cup of thanksgiving. As you give thanks to the Lord for saving you, for redeeming you, you come to say, thank you, Lord, for choosing me. Let that sink in. And we want that truth to flood our souls in this communion service today. And let us then focus on the goodness of God in his electing love. Let me say that again. If you're taking notes, write this line right out. 
the goodness of God in his electing love. Because God the Father is considered worthy of all the praise for choosing us. That's how the apostle writes this. He says in verse 3, Blessed be God the Father. Now, much of our preaching and much of evangelistic effort is to say Jesus is a wonderful Savior. And it is he who left heaven's glory, came down into this world, suffered on the cross, and became our substitute for sin. That's the gospel. But behind that gospel is God planning, God choosing. And you'll see in this passage that the, the doxology, the eulogy, the, the praise is to God the Father. And, of course, that is the heart of God at work for us. And here is the infinite and amazing goodness of God. Now, the line is right. The Father planned it. God the Son suffered it. And God the Holy Spirit applies redemption to our cross. There's another way of putting it. God sought it, the Son bought it, and the Holy Spirit wrought it. But the Son would never have come if the Father had not firstly sought and chosen his church from all eternity. Now, this election is also sovereign. Sovereign. Do we understand what that means? A sovereign does what he likes. In the days of unlimited powers in a monarchy, when a king was a real king, today kings are mostly powerless. They follow protocol. They must toe the line. They must do the thing that's expected of them. But in days when kings were potentates, when they did their own will and fancy, and who could question what doest thou? The king was sovereign. Likewise, God in his sovereignty, he chose us. This is all God's doing, not man's. And election precedes every other action in our salvation. It is that choosing of God. It is that moment of God saying, that one, that woman, that man, that young person, by name, as the shepherd calls his sheep, there the wheels of your salvation begin to turn. And that is the motivating engine that drives salvation and brings it home to your heart. To put it negatively, there would be no Christ, no Savior, no way opened up to bring a wretched, fallen, miserable, lost sinner out of the broad road to destruction and into glory. No way, because there is no other way, but God chose.
And so we find here in verse 7, I'm jumping down a little bit here just to this point, that God would display his grace. He would display his marvelous grace in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now, grace is a little word with a universe of meaning. No one has ever bottomed out in the word grace. We teach our children God's riches at Christ's expense. It is God emptying all the supply rooms of heaven to bestow his grace, his goodness upon our souls. But it required the blood of Jesus to purchase that for us and make it possible in our hearts. And so it is sovereign grace. It is a great display of grace. God saw the world fallen. He saw Eve taking the forbidden fruit. He saw Adam participating in that. He saw the covenant of works shattered, broken in pieces. Man left doomed to an eternity of misery and hell. And God, in his grace, in spite of man's hostility and rebellion and hatred to God, God was moved out of sovereign grace. There was no reason to do so. There was no obligation to do so. God, in his pure sovereign grace, chose to save us. And we love him because he first loved us. You did not seek God first. God chose you first and sent his son to die for you. And for all of this grace and all of this sovereign mercy and all that is in the heart of God, the goodness of his electing love to us, we come to this table today and we praise him. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so that's what we do today as we participate in this communion feast. We praise the God of grace, the God who chose not to deal with us according to our deserts, according to his wrath, but according to mercy. In love, he chose to save us. Now, that brings us to something bigger, something absolutely staggering. It says here in that verse 3, who blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And so we praise him for the total package of spiritual blessings, redemption, for which he has chosen us. When God moves to save his people, when he lifts a sinner out of the dunghill or the broad road to hell, to turn us from the way of destruction, God moves with a full package 
all spiritual blessings in heavenly places are bestowed upon us. I can only think of this as a vacation package. You know, those uh, travel uh, brochures and travel industry, and they promote these tourist packages, and they take care of everything. They'll even pick you up at your front door if you need to, and they'll bring you to the point of assembly. They will ensure that you're on that flight, that you catch the cruise, that you get off at this stop and you see that site. The bus is laid on, and everything is a package deal from the beginning, the moment that you leave, until the moment that you return. It is a complete tour package. And you do not plan it. You do not need to worry about it. You do need not to even think about what's going to happen except enjoy the whole idea of such a trip. And when God plans our redemption, he did not plan possibilities. The possibility that you would one day hear the gospel, the possibility that you would be moved to accept it, the possibility that you would be strong enough to keep it up, the possibility that you would die still in the faith, the possibility that your body would be in the grave and one day that it would rise again, the possibility that on the resurrection day that God would come and your body eaten by the worms would be raised again, and the possibility that you would stand blameless before the Father. The gospel is not a list of possibilities. The gospel is a package deal of all spiritual blessings and heavenly blisses made yours by the sovereign, mighty, wondrous power of God. And so once you come to faith in Christ, immediately you know that you're one of God's elect, and then you know that you have a package deal to glory. All spiritual blessings are yours. Welcome to another moment in Mark's Gospel. We're looking today at chapter 135, where the Lord Jesus entered into his prayer ministry. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. We cannot be surprised by this statement about Jesus and prayer, for you cannot be a reader of the Gospels and not notice the frequency of Jesus' private prayer life. However he prayed, the power of his praying is evident, and it ignited an interest in the disciples to become men of prayer. In Luke 11, 1, we read, It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. We can see from this event that prayer is of great value. Let's make this our subject today, the value of private prayer. There is value in the testimony of private prayer. The Lord taught that Christians should go alone into the closet and engage in prayer with God. It is no surprise, then, that we find the Lord doing this very thing himself. If the Lord had not prayed alone, 
we would question his own teachings, as in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, when he warned against those who prayed in public with long faces. This event, this private prayer event, is but an extension of the Lord's teaching and of his own walk or communion with the Father. It would be impossible to have a Christian testimony without personal, private times of prayer. To come into public worship and show interest in prayer among God's people, having never prayed alone, would be strange, proud, and deathly cold. The best preparation for public worship is private worship. Dr. J.C. Ryle stated, A praying master like Jesus can have no prayerless servants. The spirit of adoption will always make a man call upon God. To be prayerless is to be Christless, godless, and in the high road to destruction. It is in the private place, therefore, when alone with God that the Christian best learns to pray. For there is freedom and liberty to pray when alone with God. There's also value in the helps to private prayer. One of those helps is the right time. The Lord had to make time, so he arose early and spent the first hours of the day praying to his Father. Each one must find that right time to pray when you are free from distractions. Prayer is not to be multitasked. It demands all our minds, souls, and bodies. We are to pray different from a young mother in the home from a factory worker. Somehow a Christian must find time to pray alone with God. The right time is a help to pray, so guarded. Then there's the right place. The Lord needed to find a solitary place. The success of his own ministry by healing and delivering people from devils meant that people were flocking to him. He had to seek out a quiet place. Most houses of that time were one-room structures and offered little privacy. I have heard missionaries say that it's difficult when on the mission field to get alone with God in privacy for lack of sound soundproof buildings, to have a place that is free from distractions and a place that offers liberty to pray aloud is of great benefit to a healthy prayer life. And so we take a leaf out of the example of the life of the Lord Jesus. And, and in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there pray. Will you do that? Will you be as your master? Go into the private, secret place to seek the Lord God. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music.